Hello and welcome to Hidden by Things with Laura Horton, the podcast that seeks to demystify and destigmatize hoarding and collecting behaviors by talking to people about their relationship with things. Whoa, whoa. I'm your host, writer Laura Horton. I'm also a person with hoarding behaviors, and it took me a long time to recognize as the media and arts narratives are so extreme. That's why I wanted to start this podcast. In each episode, I'll be talking to a different person about their experiences with hoarding, putting them, not their things, first. My guest today is Paul Cooper. Paul has worked for Hoarding Disorders UK for over six years. He helps deliver hoarding awareness training to agencies such as the fire services, NHS, housing associations, councils and charities. He also works in people's homes. You may possibly know him as the character Martin Mucklow in the BAFTA winning comedy This Country, written and starring his two children, Daisy and Charlie. In his spare time, he is director of the children's charity, the Children's Football Alliance. Thank you so much for being here today, Paul. My pleasure. So I just wanted to start with the word hoarding and how you would define hoarding. Hoarding, I think, is when someone has an attachment to items. And if if the thought of letting them go would give them great anxiety. I hate the word hoarding and we try not to use that. It's so difficult. We kind of say hoarding behaviours. We had actually one guy at our, one of our support groups and he said, I'm not a hoarder, I'm just hoardacious. <laughs> Which I thought was quite That's amazing. Funny. Yeah. And I think certainly where, where a house is concerned, hoarding, is a room is not being used for its intended purpose. So, you know, you're not sleeping in your bed or the bath or the uh, shower is, is, is full. And I, I think sometimes, we you know, we go into a property it presents itself as being hoarding, but it isn't always hoarding. So, you know, that's part of being a detective when you go into to people's homes. What signs are you looking for when you're in people's homes? Well, it can be a myriad of things because every home presents differently. You can go in there sometimes, you can see that there's self-neglect going on and perhaps uh, rodents or something, you know, sometimes. It's very neatly, you know, places are very clean and neatly stacked and, and the actual content can be very different. But you can go in and it's really putting all the pieces together being that detective and your rapport and trust develops with the client you know you you get to find out what's happened you look around and you say right what has happened here and eventually you get there you put all the pieces of the jigsaw together it's been interesting trying to find guests for this podcast because there are a lot of people that associate with hoarding behaviors but they don't necessarily want to talk about it there's a lot of shame attached to it what words do you think would better describe hoarding you say you hate the word do you think there are better ways of describing what it is it's difficult i mean we normally say hoarding behaviors but if i'm with a client try and listen to their language and try and mirror the sort of language that they have you know they might call it stuff or whatever that word is i think i think that's really important language is incredibly important you know you can lose someone just by saying the wrong word so the trouble was some people there was <laughs> we were doing some training the other day and there's people saying well you're not sure on the word decluttering you know, and you think, oh, okay. So you're kind of, you're, you're desperately going to Roger's Thoris, trying to find a new word for, <laughs> for decluttering. So yeah, is the thing. Language is so important, you know, and, and just, you know, just being careful with it. And, and not just like 
body language. People with hoarding behaviors are expecting to be judged. And you've got that 10 seconds when you walk into a property. And the natural inclination is to kind of look around, but obviously just smile, give eye contact, try and build from there. Because if you start looking around, you go, gosh, you know, then you've lost them. You know, it's, it's as simple as that. And what are the stigmas that you think need to be broken down? I think that hoarders are dirty and lazy, really, which is kind of what they portray on some of the, you know, TV programs, hoarding programs. That's what we're trying to get away with because, you know, there are reasons why people do this. You know, there's always triggers, you know, so it's about finding out what triggers are as well. And sometimes people don't know. They, they haven't associated that they've had a trigger. And some people don't even know that they think they're the only people that, that hoard. So sometimes finding out what that trigger is can be the, the start of change, you know, the start of things, you know, becoming better. So, yeah, very much being a detective. And I think that's what I love about you know, trying to find out what's gone on. Normally, there are very often we've, we've been referred, you know, by social services or housing associations. So there's some, there's some back um, story, but, but not always, you know, sometimes people refer themselves or a partner or someone will, you know, refer us. Yeah, building that rapport and trust is everything, really. You know, that that's the real key. And working at the same pace as well, working at the pace of the client. That some can sometimes be a luxury because very often I'll go in and, you know, the people have been taken to court, the clients have been taken to court. So there's a very short amount of time to to try and reduce the level of clutter. Otherwise, you know, they'll, they'll have to vacate the property. So, yeah, it's, there's usually a bit of a time, time frame in the background, unfortunately. So it's kind of about putting them at the forefront not their things because often these programs that are presented it's more about what they've collected rather than than about them yeah it's about the person and not the stuff very very much so and what's happened and trying to find out the past and, and sometimes also what hobbies i might visit someone who's been in a, living in a flat for 10 years but they used to have a house and were a keen gardener so is, you know is that something that they might changing the mindset i've had some success without changing the mindset from people's stuff to experiences or relationships you know that can work as well so you're always looking at everything and else who else might help you know is there a friend is there family is there a next door neighbor because you can go and do a job and make it you know it's, it's never normally going to be house beautiful but you can make it so that it's safe and uh, it doesn't impact too much on the client but it's keeping people on radar so who is that you know we always say it takes a village it's not just one person's responsibility for people with hoarding behaviors it's all our responsibility you know you need that village around you to be able to move forward and that's got to be managed as well you you know, if someone hasn't seen anyone in their property for two or three years, then it's quite difficult. Um, you've got six agencies trumping through in a week, you know, so it's got to be carefully managed. When I was with a gentleman today, the first time, you know, he's had no running water for 10 years. So going in there to try and pave a way so he can get to the plumbing, you know, so a plumber can come in and reach all the points that he needs to. So you never quite know what you're going to find. No, I, I bet it's eye-opening. And how did you become involved with Hoarding Disorders UK? Well, I had a family member or still have a family member who has hoarding behaviours. So it was always something, but things have moved you know, moved on from six and a half years ago. And uh, I was actually in a in a, in a job at, um, doing recruitment, which was terrible at the time. And I found very stressful and I had a heart attack. 
I'm sure it was the job. So I've always wanted to work with kind of people, you know, not do sales, but you kind of get stuck into something and then it's very difficult to get out. So I was looking for something, those kind of, I wanted to be, you know, someone like a housing officer, but because of my age and lack of experience, I, I, I went for a couple of interviews, but didn't get it. But then I saw, I was actually went to a, a support group just to find out how I might be able to support a family member and boarding support group. And from there, you know, uh, became friendly with, with with hoarding. So it was Joe and Amanda at the time. And they had one day a week, they wanted some help. And it, then it, you know, built to three days a week and, and then full time. So uh, yeah, I've loved it. It's been definitely the best job. Well, acting's great as well, of course, but um, it's been a, a brilliant job. You know, there isn't a kind of Monday because you're helping people. People are so interesting and also the uh, different agency people, the fire services, environmental health, the NHS, all the different people you meet in that journey. Yeah, I, I love it. Love it. When we talked on the phone, you were talking about an episode of this country where you sort of access hoarding. How did that come about? Was that something that you had wanted to address in the show? Not me, but well, the kids wanted to do something because of the family member and it got slated a bit. It was um, Len, who, who's played by my brother, Trevor Cooper. And um, he's a proper actor, by the way. I'm, I'm just, I, I, I've just started. So they wanted to do a theme with hoarding in and they did some very good things. They were helping Len in, in his uh, lockup. And this part goes to charity this is you know for recycling and this for rubbish and they were doing all stuff like that but all that cut got cut and just the bit which is the kind of the worst bit was kept in unfortunately so i got we got they got a bit of stick from some of the hoarding specialists about oh making fun of hoarding it wasn't meant to be but unfortunately um so much gets cut it comes out of very different but there we go. Have there been any depictions of hoarding behaviours in art or media that you have thought were positive? Or do you think for the most part, it's quite negative? Mainly, I think it's negative. But I, I think things are changing. The lady from uh, Holidays in the Sun, what, what's her name? Jasmine Harmon. I think that was very good, the documentary with, with Sula, her uh, mother. So I think there's stuff like that going around. And the BBC did a short documentary with myself and Joe Cook, who's a director of hoarding disorders. And I think they got that right as well but there's been huge changes i think that was about three and a half years ago we filmed that there were about 15 hoarding support groups and there's about 30 now and various towns are kind of now realizing that they need kind of to find budgets so i know just down the road swindenborough council employed three full-time declutterers a full-time social worker purely working with someone with hoarding people with hoarding behaviors and a therapist as well so you know that would, would be unheard of five years ago absolutely unheard of so there's there's lots of champions and hoarding czars now in councils and housing associations because a obviously to help their clients but also it, there's a financial thing there as well hoarding starts early hoarding starts at 13 is the average age but it can take decades to build up and there's various highs and lows depending you know what happens in your in your life i've worked with with sue uh, and my colleague joe cook and she had a, a number of different things that happened through her life miscarriages to to a, to a brother taking his own life the various things and you can see as that happens you know it's a, it's it's the go-to behavior so for some it might be alcohol for others it might be hoarding or drugs or, or eating disorder so when when stress is on people will hoard more that's really interesting i've never i didn't know that about 13 being the age because i remember becoming quite addicted to qvc when i was about 10 
and then trying to convince my mum to buy things all the time and like not be able to throw things away. I tried to convince her to buy loads of knife sets. I have no idea why. They just seem like a proper bargain. <laughs> so she had, to, she had to keep turning off quick QVC because I would get so <laughs> drawn into it. Yeah. And, well, they try and make you your friend, aren't they? I mean, yeah. I mean, we have lots of clients that love QVC and it's all oh, and the price has gone down and how are you doing today? And are you? So people switch on and it, it's kind of comfort. 90% of people I work with live alone. And if there's children involved, very normally they've already been taken into care by the time we get there so yeah it's it's that uh, social isolation and things like the qvc you know they've got it to a t in terms of roping people in and but of course when we're young we're encouraged to collect aren't we used to be stamps and then it's the panini stickers i remember 1970 world cup i was collecting all these stickers and then those those kind of magazines aren't they with a, something in and you buy the first one and then the second one comes with it but next week you've got a you know this is collection and those kind of things so we're definitely encouraged early on to collect do you work with many young people or do you find it's you're kind of brought in at an extreme stage normally brought in an extreme stage i haven't really worked with any young people my colleague has one or two but you know normally it's 60 plus so by that time it's you know very much ingrained and normally the kind of house is full because people don't normally kind of flag up oh i'm you know i've got hoarding behaviors i need help sometimes they do but it's usually referrals from other people you know something goes wrong and i think the big change you know finding people with hoarding behaviors was when you had to have the gas check that houses have to have the gas check so that's i think when when you know people going in and thinking well you know something's something's not quite right here and I mean, they say we only, we only know about, authorities only know about kind of 10% of, of people who have hoarding behaviours. The rest, is, you know, so it's just the tip of an iceberg, really. Uh, and, and we're talking about millions, you know, we're not, we're not talking about thousands, we're talking about millions in the UK. Yes, it's difficult to deal with and I feel bad for my parents because I bought a flat last year, my first flat, and I've moved quite a lot of stuff over, but most of my stuff is still in my old bedroom in my parents' house. And it's sort of an attic, but my dad had to take someone up there the other day to check the radiator. And it's like incredibly embarrassing. I'm incredibly ashamed of the state of it and what it looks like. And no one really ever goes up there. And I know when they do, they find it really hard and they find it hard to know how to talk to me about it because they don't want me they love me you know they don't want me to be ashamed but we've sort of managed to hide it because it's not in their space but it is still probably in their mind that that's and I will move it but it's tricky I think you have to be ready that's the thing it's very difficult to you know to to try and tackle if you're not ready you know that I think there's a time and sometimes you know people say right I'm ready now I can do it I think when you try and force it it's quite it is difficult Mm-hmm. <sighs> 
what advice would you give people who have a loved one or a family member who who is exhibiting hoarding behaviors i think first of all come from the safety point of view because although about five percent of the population have hoarding behaviors 30 percent of fire deaths are hoarding related which is about 100 people a year so that's really significant uh, not just that but also kind of trips and falls and uh, avalanches so it's simple things making sure they're smoke detectors the fire services are brilliant they do safe and well visits so they will come in fit fire alarms you know, on each floor they'll give advice about you know what to keep clear and also advice you know if, if there's a fire you know a strategy and it's very important that they kind of know as much as possible so us as agencies you can report it it's, it's not you know you're not being kind of dobbing someone in it's just a safety thing so that if the fire services know it's a hoarded house so that will come up on their system so say there's a, a call comes in there's a fire you know five the road that will come up on their system that there's a fire there so they may well take and normally they do a, a, an extra fire tender you know so things like that are really really important and a thing to work for is uh, towards is some things like making sure that all doors can close and that can be you know quite challenging in a in a hoarded house but the difference is in a normal house if there is such a thing a 90 percent of fires are restricted to the the room where the fire starts in a hoarded house that changes to 40 percent so if you have a closed door that gives you 20 minutes which is enough time probably for the fire services to um, come and rescue so things like like that and just maybe establishing a few rules yeah okay you can put stuff in the spare room but nothing on the stairs and a, a kind of route way through so if if anything did happen to you you know the emergency services would be able to get you out so i think things like that and also what's available to, to help you know whether that's you know seeing the doctor we we do um on our website is is a, an icebreaker that uh was cherry rudge and cherry rudge came with this brilliant icebreaker so that's actually for some to take maybe to a you know a health professional to a doctor just to discuss you know go through the questions on there and there's also some um, information for the doctors because very often they're not sure about warning and stuff but what we did find is that people families during lockdown because people were going back and visit you know having to stay and stuff and, and realize that a son or a parent or whatever was was hoarding and that was quite a good tool for them to discuss go through that icebreaker form to discuss but i think there's always a reason why someone hoards you know there's a trigger so i think people have got to be you know very patient and you know very understanding i think that's really the key marching in and thinking right we'll clear this place and you'll feel better after that just does not work at all you can't put your own kind of feelings on it. You've got to listen and find out what, you know, what what the other family member wants or needs. It's quite emotionally draining, I can imagine, to deal with. Obviously, I know that I'm probably quite a frustration, even though my parents have been extremely kind, but it must be emotionally draining. Yes, I, I think when you haven't had experience of it before, you know, a family member comes in and, and they just don't know where to start, complete overwhelm. Yeah, very, very difficult with the emotions there. Yeah, definitely. Is there anything else that you want to talk about in terms of hoarding? What support is there or maybe misnomers about what it is or anything about Hoarding Disorders UK that you want to highlight? Well, I think the good thing is, I think we've been going about eight years or so and, and we were started doing training about six years ago 
and we'd probably deliver one training session a month, if that. And now we probably do two to three a week. So people are getting educated there, you know, and, and there's, there's level one, there's level two, there's level three, depending how, how far you want to go into it. So that's been training up. Um, you know, the fire services, housing associations, uh, social workers, OTs, you know, the NHS, charities, homeless charities, because if, if you've been made homeless sometime in your life, it goes from 5% of the population to 20% with hoarding. So I think that's been a huge thing. And then and there's other specialists that are also doing training. So I think there's a huge amount of training being done. And especially with COVID coming on, I think a lot of people said, right, that now's the time we can get people properly trained. So I think that's been a huge thing. And just people's awareness, you know, I, I think things have changed a, a huge amount just in the, the time that I've been in there. And there's been some good paper articles, magazine articles, some good stuff. I know some of our clients were on the one show and things like that. So I think it's very encouraging going forward. I think it's our, ourselves and the United States are probably leading the way. Australia are very good as well. There's a lot of good work going on in Australia. The, the States have been doing it longer than we have, and they have a lot of support groups. And they have a lot of research. Well, I think we're starting to do a lot of research now. And there's a lot of research being done at Oxford University. That's the kind of uh, Paul Koskoskis or something like that. I can't remember the name, but he's a professor there and, and he's doing a lot of work. So that's, that's great. You know, I think we need those kind of statistics, you know, to, to know what's going on. But yeah, the only trouble is there's, there's not enough people, I think, professionals working with people with hoarding behavior you know that's quite you know i think there needs to be more of people like myself going in being able to go into people's homes and, and help but i'm sure that will change what do you think are the things that would help improve awareness of hoarding behaviors well i, I think where it goes i think some more you know i know you're you're doing a a, a play and we're hoping to do a short film and some of the documentaries that have been done that uh, put a completely different spin on, on what's happening. I think that's really important. I think what we're seeing more and more locally where, where it helps is where there is some sort of local protocol. So more and more local authorities will have a hoarding protocol so that there's something that people can follow, like a, a you know a, a flow chart, as it were. And also where there is some kind of hoarding forum for the agencies, the different agencies to, to discuss going forward and, and, and we'll also gather, you know, things like that. We've seen some terrific, you know, once a quarter and there'll be environmental health, you know, the police, the fire services, NHS, housing associations, uh, RSPCA because of uh, animal hoarding. And, you know, so I think these forums, it's a bit of a postcode lottery still. You know, I've, I've worked quite a bit in Bristol and there's nothing really in Bristol. They're talking about starting a support group, but that's, you know, Bristol's about the fourth, fifth biggest city in the, in the country, whereas we've got four support groups in, in Berkshire. So it is a little bit, but it's starting to happen, definitely starting to happen. My colleagues went to Joe and the two Joes and the two directors of Hoarding Disorders UK went to do some training in Prague a couple of months ago. And it's the police that deal with hoarding. So, you know, that so they're miles behind, but very willing to learn. So yeah. And are you going to be performing in the film that's being made about hoarding? Yeah, we're, we're doing a short film 
um, we've been kind of discussing it for a couple of years, actually, and we got a director interested. We kind of asked for, for people to do a little presentation and, and we got a producer and stuff, but we, we didn't get the, uh, you know, the BFI funding or, or backing. So we're thinking about going kind of crowdfunding. So we have a script and, you know, I've done a bit of acting and funnily enough, my colleague director, Joe Cook, her daughter's an actress. So so she's in it as well. So yeah, we hope to get that that off the ground. We're kind of talking again about what we'll do and, and hopefully try and raise some money somewhere. Earlier, I asked if you would be happy to pick an item of clothing or something that you're willing to donate. So the thinking behind it really is I keep discussing with people who struggle to get rid of things, why that mm. is. And a lot of the time it's that there is a fear that their story will be lost. So sort of trying yeah. to encourage people to share the stories and then and then sort of let the item go on its way into the world what is yeah. the item that you've picked and what's the story attached to it so this is it this is a a, a training top for there's a badge somewhere there we go amazing Paraticaba, which is a brazilian <laughs> second division team yeah uh, many moons ago i used to be a, a football coach and I was mentoring a young lad here in Sirencest at the time, 17 or 18. And through contacts, various contacts, I managed to get him uh, into a second division club in Brazil to train and play with their youth team for a year. And he had the most incredible experience. I think he was on the bench a couple of times for the first team and just soaked up the whole culture about everything. Came back a very different person. And he kind of gave me his, his training top, but there's no way I'm ever going to fit in that. I'm a kind of extra, extra large, and this is a kind of medium. So I'll take a photograph of it. So that's always something we tell clients, you know, take a photograph. You know, it's sometimes it's just the memory. You don't have to have the physical thing there. And that will go to one of the local charity shops, probably the Salvation Army, which is a tiny little charity shop at the end of town. So, yeah, I'll pop it in there. Fantastic. Well, I'll, I'll send you the fabric QR code first so you can tuck it in and then people okay. will scan the QR code and then they'll get the story. And so oh, right. encourage Amazing. people to do that. So yeah, then great. the story is going idea. off and you don't know where it's going to end up, whether it'll end up in Australia yeah. or, you know. Thank you so much for taking the time, Paul. Is there is there anything you want to add before I let you go? Just that hoarding is incredibly complex, incredibly complex. And I think if you don't deal with the triggers on why people are hoarding it's very difficult to deal with the hoard there are a lot of therapies out there now cbt is the only one where there's actually been a kind of study that it helps hoarding uh, there's a very good book actually by satwan singh called something to do with hoarding and controlling hoarding but lots of other therapies you know we've we've had um, emdr which is eye movement decide desensitive i can't remember the names i'm absolutely terrible with names which is a kind of it replicates kind of REM, you know, during the sleep pattern. We've had clients where that's been successful. Also tapping EFT, emotional freedom technique, we've had success with that. Over certain, certain things, we had one lady who had had a miscarriage 30 years before and was, was still collecting baby clothes and toys and, and tapping worked on her. In fact, the fire services use it in the Wilson Dorset when, when they've you know, been to, to fire, you know, really bad fires or, you know, traffic accidents. And that's something you can do yourself as well. Uh, Amanda Peet, who who was one of the first directors of Hoarding UK, is a therapist and uh, does tapping as well. So, so I think there's something for everyone out there. So those are the key things, looking at the mental health side, 
trying to look at those triggers, finding out what's happened and just support, really. I think just it's in 2018, the World Health Organization, which which the NHS take their lead from, you know, said that, you know, hoarding disorders is a mental health disorder. So we have to treat it as such. So I think there's a lot of education still to be done, a lot of GP surgeries, etc. Because that's something you don't normally go in and say, oh, I'm a hoarder. But there's you might be going in because of depression or something else, you know, and hoarding is a reaction to that. So thank you so much for taking the time. I so appreciate it. Fabulous that you're doing this. You know, things that are positive around hoarding, hoarding behaviours is is absolutely vital to get rid of that kind of stigma and for change, you know, that that, that we help people. Yeah, definitely. Because when I read out bits of the play, I always get at least two people coming up to me saying, oh, God, think I've got a problem but they hadn't maybe identified it before that because maybe it wasn't super extreme or but they know it's impacting them so yes yes yeah and also humor is so important you know that's breaks down so many you know you can have a laugh or whatever I mean I, I've there's a guy I know in in the states and he wears a tutu this declutterer and Joe came back and said oh do you think you ought to wear a tutu but I know I know one I know what client we had and I was working there with a charity and we used to do the conga through the house just before each session to see whether they kept it and <laughs> put music on in the background absolutely ridiculous couldn't do it with everyone but she was very open to it so you could yeah humor is very well good luck and i because everyone is fascinated with hoarding so i think you know you've got a very good vehicle there hidden by things was supported by the space and arts council england with funding from the national lottery sounds composed by ellie showering produced by laura horton and eric hughes the series was recorded at the kintsugi project cic (sighs) 